they'll probably have um, they'll probably have is it how many episodes are they going to be in the in the conversation with friends show? I'm not sure. I think it's like eight or nine. At least I think with normal people, it was eight or nine. Or oh, I might be talking shit. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of episodes. You can totally adapt every nook and cranny of that book because it's not a, a large book. Yeah. You can adapt it into a movie easily. I think. I think. I because mean, it's yeah, not yeah. really not that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would work as a movie, but I think like if it were a movie, some scenes from the book would probably be cut just for efficiency like not necessarily like entirely cut but they would just be made shorter for efficiency mm-hmm. oh wait no uh normal people have 12 episodes so it's probably yeah conversations like with friends time. conversations with friends also has 12 episodes oh, yeah. 12 episodes of 45 minutes 45 oh, because normal people only had like 30 minutes episodes oh okay sure then this one might as well be because i figured since it's a drama show and those mm. usually have 45 to an hour but oh yeah, oh, yeah. No, no. if it is if it is half an hour i think it makes it if you're gonna divide it into like tiny chapters i think 12 makes total sense yeah, yeah, yeah. um what was i saying i yeah i just i think like if they're doing a tv show there's no reason to cut um any moments from the book um yeah i hope they do it i hope they do it i don't know uh, i don't know if you've seen drive my car yet but no yeah because like um it's only coming out on march 11th here and i can't yeah. re go to any of the like early screenings because they always are during the week when i work so i, I can't really see anything early i wanted to, i really wanted to see the worst person in the world but again like the screenings the were movie. during the week uh yeah the mm-hmm. movie but the screens were during the week, so I have to wait for it to like officially drop on the same weekend as Drive My Car. So I'm planning on watching, probably going like back to back if there if there are show uh, like screenings yeah. back to back of the two films. That's a great double feature, but yeah, like that's a that's a nice afternoon spend at the movies because Drive My Car is three hours, and cover and um, uh, Worst Person in the World is two hours. So it's like a whole afternoon, so it's a great double feature and. Uh, worst person in the world is very good as well uh, but yeah in drive yeah. my car there are these long long scenes because the entire play the entire movie is about a, um this actor um who is acting and then directing in a play adaptation uh, like a, a a play of um uncle vanya by chekhov mm-hmm. and large chunks of the movie are actually like them acting in the play like mm. you really see the play unfold within the movie um and i it would be cool i i know that like cat on a hot tin roof like plot wise has nothing to do with conversations <laughs> with friends but like it would be cool to see joe alwyn portray like um paul newman's character uh in a long like in long scenes in the show fingers crossed. for me personally fingers crossed I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't, <laughs> but I guess I guess we'll see. But he's gonna, I be, di- he's gonna be there moaning about his um, uh, hidden former gay boyfriend who's dead. But did you like how? I mean, did you watch the trailers? Because I, I'm not sure whether you watched trailers or not. Yeah, I, I, wait, I didn't. I, I'm not sure I watched the full trailer, but I did watch. Because I did watch two. like um, clips, clips yeah. of the trailer. 
Okay, let me check the trailer full trailer actually. Because this there is are two. Great audio, because I'm still, <laughs> I already recorded. This is great audio. But I, I'll be cutting it. Uh, because there are two. There is one by BBC and then there's one by Hulu. And the one by BBC is very well done. Like it's, um, I think it's a very good trailer. But I feel like the Hulu one just like is so chaotic and so really cut and sort of, in my perspective, it sort of gives too much away. <laughs> And um, and I know okay. a lot of people complain about that with trailers, but I do think there's a way of like cutting a trailer well. And I just don't think the Hulu one the Hulu one is well cut. And I was just surprised because I remembered the trailer for Normal People by Hulu, and I feel like it was much better. Like it, it kind of hinted at the plot, but didn't sort of resolve it in any way. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm watching the BBC Three one right now. Mm-hmm. And it's only a minute, it's almost over. But this is crazy because most of these scenes are like exactly how I pictured. Mm. Like, yeah. Oh, visually, this is almost exactly how I pictured everything when I was reading the book. It's kind of crazy. Maybe. Really, the scenes with, uh, yeah. You really manifested it. Maybe maybe this is all your mind. Maybe your album doesn't exist. Maybe you just have such a strong manifestation that you've is created it, this cast. <laughs> it, it, um, is it true that Joe Alvin and Taylor are engaged? I saw it somewhere. I, I don't know. I mean, it could be at this point. Like, it, make it makes sense. sense. But I... I've heard nothing <laughs> like but at the same time I'm not really on any like Swifty um online groups or anything so um yeah because I feel like really it, know. I, I saw it somewhere but I feel like it would be a bigger deal if they had actually had to be honest I feel like with how Taylor like what kind of relationship she has with the media right now I think like they could get married and no one would know like, that'd be pretty cool she's kind of half retired in a way that like when she does something she appears for a month and then she's gone for like five months yeah. half half retired drops like five albums in <laughs> three years but like ha- like retired as like a public person i think like she's sort of to yeah. me she feels more now concerned to just be an doing artist and doing yeah. her thing rather than being like a celebrity but yeah, because because yeah, in the early 2010s, she was definitely sucked way too in into that sphere. Mm. And it really took a toll on her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if they like, are engaged, good for yeah. them. <laughs> uh, and um, like, th- like the actress looks exactly how I pictured Frances. Oh yeah, no, she's great. Exactly how I because like when I was reading the book, I already knew that um. Jemima Kirk and Joelwyn would be, and Sasha Lane as Bobby, but, mm-hmm. and I knew what they looked like to an extent. Jemima Kirk wasn't that familiar with her, but like Joelwyn and Sasha Lane, like I, I, as I, I was really familiar how they looked. Where like did you while see I was Sasha Lane? Book. American you... Honey. She's the ah, American okay, Honey. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and I was very familiar with them, how they look. So like while I was reading the book, I was just picturing them. Mm. Um. And then Frances, I sort of made up an image of this girl in my head while I was reading it. And I'm like, uh, watching the trailer. No, she looks almost exactly how I pictured her. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. 
Alison Oliver is the name of the actress playing Frances. No, and she's so pretty, but like in a very real person way. If that yeah, makes like sense. like how like how I pictured Frances exactly, yeah. like in that way. Yeah. Also, no, she looks seen, like a real person. Speaking of the Sally Rooney universe, have you seen the trailer for Fresh with um, Daisy from Normal People? Daisy Edgar mm. Jones. It's a her full name. No, what's that? It's like a it's a horror movie about dating <laughs> fresh fresh okay yeah. movie fresh movie and um, it had like good reviews on, in sundance so i oh it was a sundance okay mm-hmm. uh, uh, fresh daisy edgar jones i'm checking it out now on rd yeah she, sebastian stands in there yeah Yeah. What is it? It's about grocery store dating apps. It's about a weird guy. Okay. <laughs> um, now nah, hold up. Produced by Adam McKay. Yeah. Thank God it's only produced. Jesus Christ. Adam McKay. I. Okay, yeah, let's yeah, let's, okay. not... let's transition let's transition from my least favorite director right now to probably one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> like with Adam McKay, right? I didn't I haven't seen a lot of his movies. I've seen uh Anchorman, which I didn't really like. It's not my kind of like humor. I mean I, I liked Christina Applegate, but like I love her in every in everything, but I didn't really like it. And then I watched The Big Short, which I watched um, in like in Ireland after I've decided to not go to Trinity. And it was like very my anti-capitalistic mood. So I liked it <laughs> like just because it was like, boo, big bangs. Um, and then I watched Don't Look Up, which was, um, you know. Like it wasn't a good movie. I did not did not like it. I like I when I talk about Adam McKay movies is that when I talk about his career starting from The Big Short, which is when he like had the idea to start being an author. Like, okay, this is my style and this is what I'm gonna stick with for the rest of my career, which mm-hmm. seems like it it's gonna be it. Because before then, he like like these these like silly comedy movies and like I kind of dig Anchorman. Anchorman's a, it's like funny, but like but now, I mean, when he like, decided, it has a nice. With Anchorman, like Anchorman to me feels more autored than Big Short. Like it has a very distinct characteristic, like aesthetic, I guess. Like it just, it feels more autored than the Big Short. The Big Short to me felt very, even though it had like all those gimmicks and all those cameos and stuff, it felt very soulless as a movie to me. I mean that's the Adam McKay style at this point. <laughs> I, 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 no, because it's it's true. Because like it, with Big Short, I I I really cannot picture because I, I I don't really go. I'm not like I don't watch movies professionally. Like I mm-hmm. I'm not gonna be out here like seeking out movies that I actively dislike all the time or like having to watch movies I actively dislike all the time. So like so I I really struggle to picture a director whose three movies in a row I dislike like as much as The Big Short, Vice, and Don't Look Up. 
especially don't look up don't look up for me is a horrible travesty (laughs) don't look up to me just feels like a very lazy movie (laughs) in the sense that like he's like making this whole point about obviously the environmental crisis and sort of supposedly our our society's reaction to it and how the media and politics blah 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 blah. and i'm like okay but But it's all so obvious and like so heavy-handed it's like it's like so self like he feels so self-righteous in that movie and i'm like dude you have like you're probably paying these actors millions to be in this film to talk about the problems which are partially if not fully generated by capitalism <laughs> like can you like i that's like, why i don't really like like exactly i don't i'm not a big fan of like activist cinema when it's like fictional like if you want to talk about the environmental crisis and how serious it is and everything like do a documentary make an investigative piece on like, it or whatever or and not and like there a is... for-profit movie for netflix of all streaming platforms it's and it's like it, it is i think you can do uber and you can do satire about basically any like almost everything mm-hmm. as long as you do it in a smart way but this it not only is this like a millionaire director hiring million, like the biggest stars in the world to babble on about how we need to like how we how dumb we are as a society and it's like in a very self-righteous way as you said and it it goes it, it's almost it, it's 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 like a satire without any idea of what makes a satire interesting which is like nuance and room for thought and when you have a scene where it's literally Leonardo DiCaprio screaming while looking at the camera for two minutes for us to do something you're not making art anymore this is just like like I don't even know what this is it's like the biggest actors in the world doing like cosplay as scientists yelling at us to do something about it while you're the millionaires it's like this is bullshit like it's not even a movie at this point I don't know what this is like the only scene that I liked in the movie, like genuinely liked, is when they had like that dinner and. Um... Yeah, that was fine. I, I enjoyed uh, the one thing I I mm-hmm. really enjoyed about it is the one thing is Timothy Chalamet in it. Oh, he's amazing! Funny. He's so very, funny in this movie. <laughs> genuinely, very funny in this movie. Like I I enjoyed that scene because like, like I mean he he did hire good actors like that can like deliver emotional scenes so like i do think it's i don't think it was groundbreaking or anything i just think it was a well-acted scene that sort of delivered um some emotional resonance as opposed to the rest of the movie and i do agree that timmy timmy is very very funny in this movie and i did find leo at the very very beginning of the film to also be funny as it's like anxiety yeah, reading <laughs> professor but then I, what the fuck happens to his character like that it, oh gosh it, it he it, it is a, a total travesty and it like um i get i i get that final scene that final scene is like fine and like mm. in the concept uh, if if it appeared in a context of like a different movie i think it's like okay this works like a family like a, a family and like 
random people join together at the end of the world to celebrate life and mem- their memories and stuff. It's like it would have hit in a better movie, but in this movie, and I was like, it was a headache-inducing movie for me because I watched it in the theater. <laughs> It was like a, it was like I had to like break it into sessions. Like I watched one hour of the movie at like around Christmas time, and then like I have, I think I took like a week of watching other things, and then I finally finished it. It, it is it is a headache-inducing movie. Like it it because it, it, it constantly screams at you, and the other thing is so obnoxious. It's constantly like it, it's 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 like. Oh, you're, it, it's a constant tone of like patronizing, but also trying extremely hard to be funny in that corny SNL way. Oh. And I, I just, I really don't like satires that like. Don't leave like, any room for. Not even that. Thought. It's just like that come from this place of like, I will show you how smart I am and how dumb exactly. you are. And like without any consideration for the story or the, the actual characters or the actual issues and like room to breathe as well for the topic. And there's so many like satires that like people love, even though they're so, so tiring to to engage with like to me an amazing satire for example is american psycho i think it works very well as a satire because it's not it's not aiming to just be a satire it actually aims also at telling a story and involving you in like a world of like a compelling character in the headspace of a a character yeah because like I no. think like a satire fails when you realize that it's a satire in the sense because then it's just like so fetishized and um, dissolved from real life that you don't actually apply things that you learn from that satire to your own thinking and to your own perspective onto the world. And with Don't Look Up, like it almost like <laughs> like I was just like, oh, shut up. Like I, I, I. Oh, gosh. We get it. It's like a uh, like it's like a we get like the entirety of the movie is like every scene. I was like, I get it. I get it. I get what Meryl Streep is trying to be. I get what Joanna Hill is trying to do. Like from the very, it's like the perfect way for this movie to go about. Like it, this would have been like a short on SNL to really work because like mm-hmm. when you see the character the the actors portraying these characters you immediately you immediately get what it's trying to do and you immediately get the point but it just drags for over two hours and it's like hammering the point like with a hammer like hammering the point with a hammer <laughs> but like, no it's it's it, it's like hammering in you in the head uh with with the point throughout two and a half hours and it's like there's any emotional like it, it kills any sort any uh, um attempt at emotional resonance mm. it, it's it's a constant it, the, the movie has an air of like we are all smarter than you um and you're an idiot and i'm gonna make fun of all of you and it's it's smug it's very smug it's also like he's acting as if he's the very first person to see those patterns or whatever. It's like, no, this issue that you're describing has existed since the 70s. And like people have been very, very vocal about how those things work, about the patterns, about the, like about everything. And he's sort of acting as if he's like 
discovering America with this movie. I, I really just wish like that these dumb comedy guys like that made fun and that made fun in like st um, stupid comedies with like deliberately immature humor. Um, stop being stop trying to be pretentious and like quote unquote real artists because one like, it completely undermines any past work you've done and i'm talking about like guys like adam mckay and mm -hmm. um what's his name uh the, the joker <laughs> guy <laughs> not <laughs> oh what's his name todd, todd, todd phillips, something the joker guy um todd phillips the joker guy and it's like mm -hmm. you can clearly see the point where they stop okay i don't want to do these piss fart vomit comedies anymore and I'm gonna be a real artist, and and then it, it it's this sad thing. There's like 50 year old guys who have like no depth, whatever, whatsoever, to make like these these dramas about serious issues, and it's just sad to watch. Because like, <laughs> I mean, like I I don't enjoy. I didn't enjoy either the the Hangover trilogy nor the Anchorman, but like. I like I think humor is very personal in the sense that like different things like people find funny different things right so like and I just I really hate this quote-unquote hierarchy of art that somehow com comedic expression or creating comedies is some sort of lesser artistic endeavor than making socially engaged cinema like no it's not <laughs> I actually it, think it's, it's not way inferior. harder I yeah. think it's actually way harder to make a genuinely funny comedy that will stand the test of time than it is to make a socially engaged cinema. It it it, it really I really do believe that making the anchor man has like implies way more um, artistic effort and than making don't look up i i i could write don't look up i don't i i genuinely because like it's it's so basic i'm sorry it it really is it's like ho 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 what if i made the uh, what if i made the most basic caricature of an american president what if i made a caricature of an anxious scientist who gets it's like these basic archetypes and i really don't get what why these like huge acclaimed actors beyond like the netflix money saw in this because it's just doesn't have any meat on it whatsoever i mean i mean it's i snl I hate, snl sketches characters I hate, like i hate to quote ricky gervais but like those people will do anything for money <laughs> like yeah. like yeah <laughs> I, like I, I i really don't think actors like big league Hollywood have any ethics whatsoever, and it and it's and it's to the point where it's like um, I I think why these all these big named actors, despite all the good intentions that they may have, um, they saw a chance that like oh I'm gonna be in this big satire that re that will really like speak to what's going on in the world and really say like convey this message to people of what is really needed what really needs to be said and it's like you spend so long in this like celebrity rich people bubble that you have no idea what actually like, normal people think about on a day-to-day -day basis like we know what's going on like we don't need to tell you don't need to tell us 
I mean, that's, that's uh, again, quoting Ricky Gervais, but, like, I remember in one of his, I don't remember which one, but one of his, like, Golden Globe, Golden Globes monologue, he was, like, don't, like, he was, like, joking at, at the at the actors and actresses, that like, don't try to make a speech about, like, the environment when you're using, like, a private jet. Like, people don't care about these awards. People have lives. And, like, I do, I do think that it's just it's such a bubble especially at this level i think also film like what raquel told us with just like how much time you actually have to spend at set at work it's very easy for that environment to be insular and when you also that recognizable you don't have really you are sort of um hanging out with normal people might not be normal for you anymore because people already have like um, pre-constructive, pre-constructed ideas about you most of the time when you're that recognizable. So you can't really have like, um, I mean, I think you can, but I think it's very hard to sort of interact with people when at the back of your mind you have like, oh, which articles about me have they read? So I like, I do have some sympathy, but like at the same time, it's like at the beginning of the pandemic and people like like all those celebrities on Instagram oh we have to like stay strong where they like in mansions with pools and private gyms and private cinemas talking about how hard it is for them to stay inside like are you fucking kidding me it it is it it, like I saw a letterbox review that said like um yeah this is like uh, the Gal Gadot um imagine instagram song that the old celebrity sang like stretched to two and a half hours <laughs> and great. it's just true and and like yeah I, I i feel like i can tell exactly actually i'm gonna look up i will look up i will not not look up i will look up um when how when when like the script was written and stuff because i have a theory about this mm-hmm. um and exactly april 2020 so uh like i i have a theory that uh adam mckay was like stranded at home um during the first few weeks of of lockdown where with go first few weeks of like covid lockdown and uh for once in his life for once in his life like he took a break from all the big studio meetings and like it's a very busy life i guess and it's like he decided to watch the news for a week straight and he's like, <laughs> this shit is crazy. What the fuck is going on? And decided to write and decided to write a script about, is it the stuff on the news crazy? And he made this like compilation of like, this is what you see on the news, guys. Like, is, is, isn't is is this what the world is? Like, this is crazy. And, and that's I, generally how it felt. I 100% believe that this is what happened. And also, you kind of to maybe segue into the topic proper of today i do not understand why now every single movie has to be at least two hours long like i before we watched um, um teenage apocalypse trilogy i don't remember the last time that i've watched the movie that's below 19 minutes long like people just i was i was chatting with 
some friends yesterday yeah. and I was like we were talking about how everything has to be a mini series at this point and people are so much so used to serialized content now which is and it's and it's true there are like serialized content has never been so prevalent and it's like it 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 makes sense with the prevalence of streaming services but mm-hmm. also like the thing about the thing I cannot really comprehend sometimes is that movies that are this long and like these middle movies because I totally get like the big Marvel blockbusters having obligatorily um like three hours now yeah because like because like, the, the sole purpose the- of them is to monopolize the industry and to take as many screens as possible and as much screen time as possible in those cinemas so people spend more time there and consume more that's I all mean, the point of those movies the are. Marvel movies are just one big merchandise advert and like yeah. oh look Oh, look at this cameo and look at this Easter egg. And, so, like, and we ha- and we have to include all the cameos and the movie needs to be three hours to achieve mm-hmm. that. So that I get, but um, it, it, it's a bit puzzling how these streaming movies, if you're not going to make a mini series that these movies specifically made, I'm not talking about like stuff um, like, um, so that gets picked up by Netflix or like HBO Max or stuff. Mm-hmm. But um movies that are made for these and made for these services and apart from a possible just you know artistic integrity so like the these some of these um people these authors big directors in the industry like netflix uh like and dislike netflix for, for various reasons one of the reasons they like it like martin scorsese he's at like hey, they give me all the money i can do the make the irishman be four hours long and I, it was no issue and um it's a bit puzzling that it's like with attention spans dwindling and serialized content being so prevalent, there are still these huge movies being so long in streaming no, services. And I don't really it, I don't really know how to even, explain that. That's not even my point. My point is like I've seen K drama episodes that are longer than Greg Gariaki's movies, <laughs> at least the free ones that we watched. I think like we are so used to this idea that like a movie has to they're like a movie that has like an hour and a half it's like a short movie and that a movie should be like probably over two hours usually or like around two hours and like and most of the time I feel like there are movies that because they sort of want to hit that standard of a cinematic release they unnecessarily prolong it because there is like this prevalent sense that if a movie doesn't have 120 minutes or 130 minutes that it's not able to tell its tell its story properly or deal with its themes with the nuance that it deserves and what I found very refreshing very nice about Greg Ariaki's movies is that they're very short very snappy but they still get like they still can <laughs> get the point story. across and yeah. feel dense in a way and, yeah I... and full like fully fully composed and um and and i really do think that more and more sort of films are made in such a way that because pe- i don't think like people have an issues issues with like staying with a content for a long time because like you said like more and more mini series are bigger and bigger and like longer films are becoming more prevalent i think yeah. people are becoming more illiterate when it comes to culture and in order to understand the point they need to see it at least five times on the screen whereas 
and that sort of constant makes the movies longer because you have to repeat yourself to make sure that the viewer understands what you, like maybe they feel like they need to repeat themselves so the viewer the viewer understands what is supposed to be said maybe to over explain like that's what yeah. Jungle Cup did it's like over explaining an issue that only like if you really break down what Don't Look Up is about and if you wanted to make like a concise it should pretty be much like, like an decent hour. thing out of this not even an hour I think like with a sketch on SNL the, the point would be across like the point would be made and like I don't want to cut Timmy's performance short though <laughs> he'd, he'd pop in like for like 10 seconds <laughs> he should have like his own like spin-off like shorts on SNL like with his character in like different weird situations um I did enjoy, like, not enjoy, but, like, it was, like, funny to see him make out with Jennifer Lawrence. I don't know why that was funny to me, but it just was. It was just, like, I sort of see him as part of a different Hollywood generation, if that makes sense. And, and they're and, only five years apart, which is crazy. Yeah. So, like, it, they're it only wasn't... five years in difference, but they are, they feel of different generations, yeah, which is mm. insane. Uh... But yeah. and and like uh but but yeah um if, when people talk about you know movies being so big and so, like I, I i do think like the average runtimes are increasing i have no basis of saying that like it does feel like it because it people people like tend to though. think oh yeah old hollywood oh yeah those like oh all the big directors all they know how to do is make these three hour long boring movies right but when you really look at the length that for example in the 40s and 50s and six even 60s um the movies that were made at that time the 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 runtime never almost never exceeded 110 minutes ever Mm -hmm. those movies are short and and it it, it really got to the point and really uh went to the point um like there was no there was no fucking around back then it was like 90 minutes and like some of the most like citizen kane it is like a, a an, an epic expanding like decades and a huge life story. And that movie's like not even two hours, I think. Yeah, I think it's like an hour and a half or something. Yeah, it's just, it's like two hours, exactly two hours. It was like oh. yeah. But like the same thing happens with television though, like too as well. Like I remember at the beginning of the of twenty first century, like a drum, a comedy like a sitcom would have like a 20 minute 25 minute episode and uh and the drama would have 40 45 minute episode and now like now you have episodes that are essentially feature films like i'm not even talking here about like sherlock holmes from bbc where it was like supposed like the whole idea is that like each episode is sort of its own film its Movie. own adaptation yeah, yeah. Like regular serialized content where one episode is an hour and 20 minutes, for example. And I just, I think things get longer and longer. And I do think that also leads to sort of the loss of some of the cinematic quality of the content in a sense that like it becomes more and more like you're watching a novel as opposed to watching a series or watching a film that simultaneously tells the story in different mediums right so like through the audio through the from the visual and through also the writing and that way it can be more efficient i feel like now more and more like 
things are have to be spelled out otherwise um i don't know maybe i'm just i I, I, I don't really have a concrete Maybe I'll come to a conclusion someday, but I don't really have a concrete theory regarding that, apart from the blockbuster being a bigger and bigger, because I, I do think there's a genuine strategy behind that. Um, like, yeah. I just, yeah, I just, I don't know, because on the one hand, like, seasons become shorter, because it used to be like that a regular season would be like 21 episodes, unless it's HBO. HBO had always, like, shorter seasons because they... um like sort of had more quality uh, shows um, in, in this regard in terms of production. But like, I don't know. I think I'm just ranting. <laughs> I'm like, I'm watching Inventing Anna and it just feels like very dumbed down. Inventing, and, what's that? Oh, it's um, it's this new mini series on uh, Netflix with Julie Garner in the main role. And it's a fictionalized account of real climbs by Anna Delvey, who was a oh, con the woman. Anna Delvey show. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't, I cannot keep track of all these mini series. <laughs> I really can't. I mean, like, I'm getting old. I really can't cap, keep track of it. But things. you're now like a TV person. So, like, <laughs> yeah, I, like, I, I can't I, keep I, up. I used to be like more or less aware of what was coming out. Now I just, it's all a blur. I mean, to me, like, I, I, like with cinematic releases it's more and more like a blur to me like i think the most aware that i was of cinematic releases was when i was working in the cinema i mean yeah uh, (laughs) figures right but um yeah i don't know but like i don't the the show's okay like i am i like anna delvey like the real con artist i think she's very interesting um like her con, I think, was very interesting as well. But the show is just, I don't know, it's there. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's just so many hours dedicated to a thing that I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy. That's I don't think you're going to enjoy it, to be honest. I don't think, I think but... I have a sense of like what kind of TV you like. And I don't think Inventing Anna is for you to be honest yeah i i really i really it's a lot of hours and i at this point i would really just like to invest time in um in like exploring the filmography and i'm i'm literally paying for criterion so yeah like mm. might as well but i might as well like spend in like all that time instead of watching like three episodes of a mini series or i would really just like to spend that time like that like an hour and a half or two out to two hours um like exploring the filmographies of directors already think I'm going to enjoy instead of like completely investing that into something that's completely new and yeah or yeah. even yeah because it, it really it's it's the same time really it's like a Gregor Aki movie once we saw like totally fucked up it's it's like a, a length of a new 40 episode yeah, yeah, yeah. no like and it's yeah and I... whereas like euphoria is like only one piece of the puzzle or a show like euphoria um unless it's something that i really want to check out i i would really just like get a full piece of of a fully fledged piece of art in that within that time frame that i really can sink my t- t- teeth in without having the drive to like oh i must check out more and, and there was all these hours available to me like limited time i don't know i think like i've always 
enjoy that like that i can stay within the world and within the narrative if i obviously if i enjoy it for a longer time and sort of explore things in more detail like i, I like watching films and like sometimes i have specifically like a mood that i want to watch a finished story like you know beginning and an end but i think i've always like naturally gravitated towards tv shows because i just enjoy those longer serialized content more it sort of speaks better to yeah my, my sensibilities. in a way in a way i wish the see for a season was longer because I'm, i'm just having a ball with this bullshit um <laughs> but 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 also like it, it really is like it's got to be one at a time and not many at the same time for me with mm-hmm. tv it's like if i'm really going to invest so many hours into one this this one thing i it i really it really has to be something that i i'm willing to sink my teeth in and not just oh let me try and sample this one out because then you just lose a bunch of hours to something that's like oh it's just okay i don't remember the last time when i was watching like one tv show at a time <laughs> it's it's yeah it's just a lot of hours and a lot of um to just to just one narrative dedicated to just one narrative and sometimes and i, and I do think it's the like watching a lot of tv as opposed to watching a lot of films requires sort of a different focus in the sense that like with tv you have to remember plot a lot details of details and like yeah. i'm really not much of as much of a plot person yeah um i would really just like to Uh, like memorizing all these plot it would be just too much for me i would really like for example like sink my teeth in instead of like doing a sort of like a, a whole watch through to large series um in many series there are obviously still shows i would i would i i really want to check out but mm-hmm. um for example i really spend like well i have to spend like 12 hours like a season of tv to like i don't know like six like Heiner Werner Fassbinder movies for example and really like throughout those six hours like what 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 does he do in what those six movies like what does he do in these six movies aesthetically thematically what themes did he explore in those in those movies and I think that's more fulfilling to me rather than mm-hmm. just like sort of memorizing a bunch of plot details that last for so long I mean that's fair but like for example to me watching Greg's films even though I enjoyed the first two nowhere a bit less it was very frustrating to me how sort of um scarce the characterization was of the characters like they sort of like oh, that's tv brain that is definitely tv brain that is like that is a very tv brain because i was like i was just like can i i don't know no more like you you can barely learn the characters names in those films but yeah, I, i don't really think that's the point it's i like, mean it's not the those point. Char- they aren't they aren't character studies I, I know, think. which is fair, but like I'm just ex- sort of explaining my TV yeah. brain, a bit of um, feeling of I don't want to say lacking because I do think those films like the like portrayal their themes well and in a full full way in I guess, but it just like to me it I couldn't like watch I don't know six movies of his in a row and have this like very sporadic interactions with these characters i that would to me be very exhausting because like new 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 Damn. new new you know what i mean like it would okay. be to that to me would be too much because like i would have so many new things so many new characters so many new ideas and themes but i wouldn't feel like i've properly sit have sat with any of them 
Okay. Yeah, that's a point of view I can't really like understand. Which is fair. I think, I about, think like when I think yeah, yeah. I, I when I think about these movies, I, I don't think I want to know more about this character. I want a continuation of what this character is doing because I do really do think that the movies are so full and rich in themselves, and I don't. And I don't, despite, I get that, despite thinking that the point of the movies are um, to be full stories on their own. And I, I don't think no, but like, that there needs I was to be continuation to say, and like further development of, of everything. I agree. But what I was trying to say is that like, it's very easy for me to watch like six episodes of a TV show that for, I mean, I, I usually try to at least finish a season before I drop a series, but like, it's very easy for me to like, watch a lot of hours of tv and just like stay within the same theme stay within the same characters it would be very hard for me to watch six movies like the doom doom generation in a row even though i enjoyed the doom generation i think it's a very good movie like it would be too snappy for me to like actually enjoy the me Films. Yeah, I, I think it, it really boils down to like I think you value good writing more than me. I enjoy mm-hmm. good write, like I I know good writing. I I know writing that appeals to me when I mm-hmm. when I see it in TV especially. Um, but I I think I I value more of um. The visual storytelling, um, and uh, aesthetic, uh, what you can do with um, cinema visually, more than screenwriting i mm-hmm. think it's just fair like yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah let's i think we've talked for about an hour about a topic that has good like, lord no- nothing to do with no the actual... filter no <laughs> filter and it's supposed to be like a palate cleanser so like the episodes where we actually say and we still things. and we still spend half the time talking about something we don't like this is an illness Uh, okay, since Greg is your favorite director, how about you introduce both the trilogy and him and sort of uh, okay. why we've decided to talk about these three movies? Okay, I, I chose this palette cleanser because um, I think not only because Greg Araki, I'm going to introduce him more, but like not only because he is one of my favorite directors and this trilogy is some of are, are some of my favorite movies. Um uh, I, I I do think it also fits the the theme of the podcast because these were movies that were very much I wouldn't say maligned because there was a, a festival audience and a queer audience that loved these movies at the time. I think um, controversial, probably controversial, and in mainstream critics didn't like these movies much. And mm. right now, despite um, not there being a, an actual mainstream resurgence. And I don't really think they built for that. Um, the people that from younger generations like us that rediscovered discover these movies now uh, see them in a different in a different light and sort of try to and connect to them in a way that or even mainstream audiences I think are will be would be able to connect to these movies in a different light than they were at the time. Um, so it fits like the the reappraisal sort of attempts that we sometimes do, mm-hmm. and it also it's a palate cleanser because these are like movies that these are like not with the mentality of like okay let's watch something that's dumb <laughs> and talk about it. This is like 
a pleasurable experience, especially for me, that these are some of my favorite movies and I would watch them every day. And, and even though I think the aesthetic is very campy at times, I do think those are sort of movies that were designed to be thoughtful, artistic pieces, as opposed to like... Just um, dumb, like, products. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, yeah, Gregor Aki is... Um, a bestie. He's a bestie. Did you did you like hearing him talk? I think he's a oh, sweetheart. Oh, yeah, he, he, he's a very lovely man. And he also really... I, I, I texted you this, but I re- so, so he was talking about, like, a later film of his, which is Mysterious Skin, which deals with childhood abuse. And he talked about sort of um, the lengths he went to in order for the kid actress, actors... Uh, to be protected from the actual content of the film and I just I really like that I love when a a filmmaker actually considers the fact that he is working with other people and that like acting certain scenes can be deeply traumatic I'm looking at you Kubrick (laughs) yeah it's 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 definitely I mean shit Sam Levinson in the in the zeitgeist is apparently just guilty of that as well mm-hmm. um and and like yeah it, it, he seems like a sweetheart and um he is a asian american director based in la and he what he broke into in the early 90s uh with the living end and this then this trilogy the teenage apocalypse trilogy which isn't a, a trilogy bound by plot uh like it's a very like art house trilogy where like the themes are what unites the 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 films but not actually it's like the three colors trilogy it's like there's an overarching idea there's some actors that appear in different movies of the trilogy but there's no like direct link plot wise yeah there's no link plot wise but there is definitely one um thematically and aesthetically mm-hmm. or an escalation of aesthetics especially mm-hmm. especially where they get more and more rabid and extreme as they move um but yeah he broke into those movies and those movies essentially what they uh pertain to and pertain to do is sort of portray um uh gen x which at the time were teenagers uh, feeling of alienation and especially in queer communities with the aids epidemic uh, Greg Rocky says that like none of these movies are autobiographical, uh, but they were very personal because it's like it, it speaks to a sort of a youthful spirit that he was feeling in LA at the time, mm-hmm. where it, it, it was it, it felt everything felt hopeless and absurd, uh, and there were so many people dying and getting sick, and he just found this way of expressing himself uh, through these movies where the very tragic things happen to the characters, but there's always like a a feeling, at least in Doom Generation and Totally Fucked Up, a feeling of closeness between all the characters and a, a close-knit um, relationship between them. Not as much nowhere, because that's just an all-out, that's basically a horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, he, he, like, he really had his um, moment in the 90s and the 2000s. I think in the 2000s, he even got... We, we didn't get to it. Maybe we'll get to it later. Um, one of my favorite pieces of like media ephemera, which is This Is How the World Ends, which is like a scene he was commissioned to do by uh, a, um, a series that he was commissioned to do by MTV mm-hmm. in 99 and 2000, uh, which were, it was an attempt by MTV to make like edgier, 
content to appeal to like like you know the the MTV '90s generation, and Gagak is a perfect get for to make that type of content. And what he attempted to do with "This Is How the World Ends" was sort of like a condensation, a condensation not only of the um, and sort of satirize in a way what the type of prevalent teenage content that was consumed at the time, like 90210 and Beverly, uh, like 90210 and Dawson's Creek and stuff like that, but also like a condensation of the themes he was um, exploring in the past three movies. If, if you see it, um, it's like a lot of the same things happen in that pilot and it happened in this past three movies, especially Nowhere. And uh, that like, that didn't end up happening there's like a lost pilot on youtube and it's like it was like overspending and it, it didn't come to fruition and i really do think that's that was ahead of its time because like nowadays all the authors want to do is tv and all tv networks want to do is give the money to these authors to make tv um but also he had um mysterious skin in 2004 which is his most mainstream success uh that movie was kind of a success at the time critically and kind of commercially as well it's like its highest budget movie, maybe, and uh, stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and and then after that, like he was sort of he kept making smaller indie movies for festival audiences, like Kaboom and White Bird and the Blizzard, which absurdly stars Shailene Woodley. Mm-hmm. Um, but like then after that, he's never really he hasn't released a movie since 2014, and. Uh, he's been pretty much doing like TV directing gigs and he had a, a series called Now Apocalypse in 2019 uh, and it was good. I, I enjoy it, but people didn't pay much attention to it, which is sad. And it's that funny, movie, and that series. Like, I, I remember mm-hmm. like hearing about that TV show outside of context of who he is and like uh, the queer cinema and stuff. And I was like, oh, this looks fun. I'll watch it later. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, should, you should watch it. You being a TV person, especially. It's a fun yeah. one season show. Like, like it, it, I know. I wanted to watch it. I wanted to watch it, but then I sort of forgot. And uh, but I still like it. Looks like something that I would enjoy TV wise. So it, it is. It is not. It doesn't feel as cutting edge as the Teenage Apocalypse. It, they're sort of dealing in similar things. It's like okay, let me bring these themes to a mainstream TV audience. I think I guess that's what he was trying to do. But I guess him being like you know nearing sixties, like I don't think he has the finger on the pulse of like what youth culture youth culture is. And he yeah. sort of made 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 this that series about more about millennials than Gen Z, um, so I don't think it had like it's like as culturally relevant, but it still has a lot of uh, valuable qualities to it, I believe. But yeah, um, until the point, to, um, but yeah, since like the late 2010s and early 20 this decade, he's been sort of discovered by Gen Z, like certain people in sort of Gen Z film communities, like okay. Yeah, we love this guy. Why didn't um, make him more of a thing mainstream? And like, he could have made so much, so much noise in the mainstream with these, with his vision. And yeah, I think I think we're due to make sort of like conclude this introduction part. I think like right now, I think um, I don't know if he's playing a new movie, but we're at the point where his movies are sort of being seen again and with more visible visibility than ever with uh internet and criteria on distributing some of his movies last year some of them aren't on there anymore but yeah he, they did that and um yeah and we're doing that too here i guess yeah to be honest what i would like from greg is that hbo gives him the budget to do the show he wanted to do 
at the beginning of the century like a period piece yeah. now like a because especially since like the 90s and the early 2000s aesthetic is on the rise because of tiktok right? i think he could just yeah. do a period piece like i don't think he needs to like study the gen z and try to tell their story i think he can just like do a very good period piece and that's a good point yeah uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I, 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 and, and HBO is the sort of when I was mentioning like, yeah, HBO didn't wasn't as big obviously in like ninety nine two thousand. I mean, um, like it was big, it was now, but like, like it because... wasn't like the behemoth that it was in TV and and like a brand, it, it, like the brand wasn't as solidified. Like, I, I don't think so. Like when you think about the beginning of the like TV renaissance, it's all of HBO shows like Sex and the City huge in the late 90s in the beginning of 2000s you also had oz which was groundbreaking you had the wire with idris alba like so if hbo mm -hmm. was the beginning of prestigious tv Uh, yeah i i get that i guess what i mean is the big in the the early 2000s (laughs) it wasn't like these networks weren't paying it's like it's, it's not like you know martin scorsese was making tv was making tv it's not like I don't know, like big directors at the time or like, or even indie directors at the time were working for TV. It was more like TV screenwriters and TV people working in the TV industry, bringing that revolution forth and not sort of the thing we see today where a lot of film people are migrating to TV. Um, but to be honest, making these bigger stories, it's, it's more prevalent now, I think. I am not a big fan <laughs> of film people doing TV. I don't think they end up making good tv i mean in a what way because like so much of what great tv is seen as nowadays is just like you know movie directors going in that direction but like it's just i'm trying <laughs> i'm trying to actually remember like which t- new tvs that i watched were actually made by like big film people like i think you have i mean david fincher did and developed like mindhunter right but i don't you know. think that's good tv <laughs> i mean okay sure but like i i'm not saying that it's like seen as good tv i'm not talking about like our tastes but like yeah. you know like you know david fincher went to do like a few episodes of like house of cards and like he did mindhunter and... Yeah, but like there's there's a difference between inviting like directors to do episodes and like because like with TV the director isn't or even the screenwriting is not the most important person unless you have like so, like shows like Twin Peaks when it's like a tour show where each episode is directed mm. and written by the same person. Okay. And Truman Paladino, hello. <laughs> um uh, what I want, what did I want to say? Like with TV, traditionally the most important person was the showrunner, and it's just a- I, yeah. I, I guess what I was trying to articulate is that now you see TV shows with more of an author sensibility than back then. Because I, I mean, to bring the example of Euphoria again, it's like it is a TV show. It's in Levinson wasn't before Euphoria. It really became into prominence with Euphoria, but. Um, that is an author project where he's directing all the episodes in this in season two, for example. And um, well, like you could argue that Gilmore Girls, by that logic, is an author project because Amy Sherman, not Amy Sherman Palladino, mm-hmm. and her husband writ- 
wrote all of the episodes and directed not most of in them. the in, I, i'm I, I, okay but gilmore girls not so much because gilmore girl they, yes it may have been written by the same person and like most tv shows are like no show run by like a very if not one person then two or three like the showrunners um and in that way they are tv auteurs but in a cinematic way where like gilmore girls it like cinematically it's not very cinematic show it's 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 it fits the sort of the house tv style sort not to not to say sitcom style but it's like the multi-camera like tv directing of the time mm-hmm. and, and euphoria it, it it has a different uh flavor flavor aesthetically the way things are shot the way things are like just the fact that just the fact that it's all shot on film because euphoria season two for example is mm-hmm. already being indicated so not it, it's not strictly about TV um, movie big time movie directors migrating to TV, which is happening more, but also more of a um, a cinematic language migrating to TV as a, 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 a versus strictly a TV language. Yeah, but at the same time, like I guess my qualm with it is the same qualm that a lot of people have with the quote unquote elevated horror is like sure okay like yeah I get it completely dismissing everything else that is done in tv and that works great sure. in tv i understand as if, yeah. as if lesser because it's not as cinematic no sure i understand i understand yeah i guess and, i guess so yeah like don't get me wrong i enjoy the big budgets in tv like i've watched so many crappy looking tv shows that like are great in like the concept but because of the the strains of the budget they can't really like um explore it visually so like i'm not i'm not biting the the feeding hand but i also don't enjoy sort of for example with mind hunter like that is such... i haven't seen mind hunter by the way <laughs> i tried to watch it because i like um the guy that plays ed kemper who was a real a serial killer sort of watched it to see him but like i have never seen a worse paced season <laughs> like it's just it's it's so boring and so weirdly paced and like it just and it's it feels like people got into it because they could sort of enjoy this very old school true crimey narrative that like we have to understand these monsters so we can profile them whatever and it it's sounds like, boring to me to be fair <laughs> the show like, I've that's why I haven't seen it <laughs> like yeah it, it is very boring and i feel like people and again i feel like again people are sort of mesmerized by it because they don't know anything about true crime and like serial killers which is fine like i'm i'm not sort of if you enjoyed mine hundreds is not me trying to make you feel bad about it but like it's like with the crown if you actually know the history it's not that interesting sure um i guess um I, 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 it just uh, popped into my mind, like, mm. uh, to, to make my point across, it's like, for, with um, a Rocky back in the day, like, getting hired to do an MTV show was an anomaly because he was an indie director getting hired to do a big TV show with a big budget. And nowadays, it's less of an anomaly because when you think about it, back in the day, you didn't have, for example, Jean Campion doing like the TV show she did, for example, or even the Wachowski sisters doing Sensei. They, like, I mean, she did it, a TV it, show in 2013, top like. I, I, that's what I was saying, like in the 2010s, like in the last decade. Um, yeah. That wouldn't happen in the 90s. But what about Twin Peaks? 
again, that's an, <laughs> that's the biggest anomaly of them all. That was like the thing. That's why that I mean, Twin Peaks is like it's it's like the TV, the, the, what they call the TV, the TV like sort of golden period before there was one, because back in the day, like they believe was sort of the only one, I think. Let me think. But yeah, what? like we'll be gone. Like in yeah, I I I think that if anyone would be willing to do that, I think HBO doing like a, a um like like commissioning Gregoraki to do like a full show. That would be great, but I don't know how viable is it because like now apocalypse is is something that's so ingrained. It's is something that is so specific to Iraqi, and that didn't become really a hit. Then again, Stars isn't as big of a network, so I guess you know. Stars has produced a lot of things that I enjoyed, a lot of shit yeah. as well. <laughs> but like it, it, in the sense that like it's it's not doesn't have yeah, the projection. No. The, the, I mean, the, the capability of you know projection. S- Stars, I do know, has a big cooperation with HBO internationally. So a lot of Stars shows are star shows in America are distributed by HBO internationally. So there is already somewhat of a connection, I think. But we should talk about the movies proper. I feel yeah, like for an exactly. hour and a half, we're just talking about the politics of TV. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, but but yeah, um, I it's this is Gregoraki and the like 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 we said like um, these movies aren't really bound by plot, but they are bound by uh, by themes, overall themes and um, moods. And I, I it, uh, and James Duvall, yeah, and James Duvall, who is sort of the lead actor in all of these. By the way, did you know that James Duvall played the bunny in uh, Donnie Darko? No, I didn't. Now I now I recognize him that you said it, but like I, I can. Yeah, it's him. It's him playing. It's him playing the the scary bunny in Donnie Darko. Yeah. I really like but Donnie yeah. Darko. Uh, me too. Me too. Uh, and and um, yeah, and these movies were what they are essentially. It's like they do address sort of what the Rocky was concerned with in like the late eighties and nineties uh, of that Gen X feeling of disillusionment. But it, it it's really about this overarching feeling that the world in every uh, single one of these movies, it's like uh, a feeling that the world is about to end and you're living constantly on the edge and every action you do is sort of plagued by this feeling of doom and of death surrounding you. And it's uh, and how sort of characters deal with that in different ways to varying degrees of realism. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I do think that, like, given that the majority of his characters, even in his, like, quote-unquote heterosexual movie, like, the majority of his characters are queer, and here we're talking about, yeah. like, early 90s, mid-90s, there is this feeling that, like, you can catch AIDS at any moment, and so there is, like, I guess this, like, real sense of apocalypse mm-hmm. to their youth, especially yeah. since, like, so many people that have caught AIDS died very young as well. So it is a very like apocalyptic reality, I think, to live through. And um, it makes makes sense why these kids are so depressed and disillusioned. Like when you think, for example, um, just like 
the kids with the climate change right now like i think you have a similar level of overall yeah. feeling of doom and definitely depression and uh that's a big reason why i think i was i gravitated toward iraqi's movies in like 2017 2018 where i was like you know like sort of in my late adolescence early adulthood and i was like sort of very like, in a phase where i was like thinking a lot about that and it, it it sort of caught me in a crisis and i was really gravitated towards the themes those themes in these movies and like it really makes me think that part of why certain corners of gen z film communities are governing towards these movies that they do see a connection between that and and i do believe that yes they are this apocalypse um connects to what queer people were feeling at, at that time in america especially with so much negligence um towards them and just indifference and like putting them to the side and uh and that's what really defined the new queer cinema movement which iraqi is a, was a part of which, which is just like this, this a, a series of uh movies with queer characters this was this the surgence of queer characters in independent movies in american film festivals that didn't happen beforehand mm-hmm. um but that apocalyptic um the, the sense the apocalypse in these movies is sort of non-specific enough for us to project our own ideas of our own fears of doom and our own um sort of existential crises towards and, and and I do think I mean and there are there's a line in doom generation where they literally do address climate change mm-hmm. um and so it's that 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 feeling is very much prevalent where these movies are feel like they take place in a non-real like in like in hyper not non-reality like a hyper reality where it's like everything is happening at once and all of history is like crumbling and collapsing all in one place and it's everything feels like non-placey and it's also, like and also, a historical it could place in the future in the past yeah. in the present you especially don't really since, get a grasp especially since it's so stylized as well it doesn't really feel like any reality so like you could exactly exactly yeah but I'm also thinking, sir, like, I think it's important that all of these characters are, are they teenagers or, like, very young adults? Because I think adulthood within capitalistic systems is sort of a death. Because you, like, I think what's beautiful about being a teenager, despite, you know, all of the things that are terrible about being a teenager, is that you are aware enough to sort of enjoy your time and enjoy the people you interact with and the themes you interact with and sort of be aware of yourself and what you do but at the same time you don't yet have to participate in the capitalistic exchange of labor for profit and so you can actually be a person as opposed to be an employee full-time and a person part-time if that makes sense and if yeah definitely and I think there is this sense of I mean, at least I felt that when I was like 18, 19 and I was mm-hmm. finishing high school and I sort of everyone sort of started expect from me to make pragmatic choices about my career. Like, what do you want yeah. to do for your life? How do you want to go about making profit? How do you want to go about, you know, taking care of yourself and sort of like what you want to uh, contribute to, which I don't I don't want to sound like, you know, like it's all bad, I think there are 
a lot of very meaningful elements of that part of adult life. But at the same time, I do think it's a, some sort of death. It's, it is a like life as you know it, and you yourself as you know it as a member of society dies to sort of become a completely different yeah. member. Um, mm-hmm. A completely different person with a completely different set of priorities and completely different set of um, sort of things that you need to take care of, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what um, James Duval's character uh, Dark says on Nowhere. It's like at the mm-hmm. end, it was just like, I'm only 18 years old and I'm already doomed. Yeah. Um, and it's like Gregoracki was talking about that in the interview we watched in Criterion where he was like, it, it, he is a director very much of the youth. Um, he like, he a lot of the creativity that even when he was well into his 30s um uh and 40s when his in his height um like he, he like the majority of his creative process is based on the feelings of angst in youth and that mm-hmm. makes total sense um yeah because he said like you know later in life if you're if you're lucky enough like you you have your life and it's it's stable and it's comfortable but there's a lot of creativity and a lot to be expressed and so much to be expressed about youth in, in film, especially in, in uh, visual storytelling. Mm. And, and I think that's also, what these movies convey so well. Yeah, and I think also youth is just such a dynamic part of your life. You sort of like, it's sort of like the last stop before you have your own political opinions, before you have your own aesthetic, before you sort of are fully formed. Like even with your brain, like it stops sort of developing at, I think around 25 in terms of like yeah. your, your personality and who you are and how you react to stuff. So I do think- it's We gotta just, fix ourselves soon. It's just, it's, I think it's a very, I mean, there's a reason why there's so many coming of age movies. Like I, I do think the process and of becoming and novels and, and albums and cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> because I do think it's such a vibrant process that can be so individualistic and at the same time universal that mm-hmm. I, I understand this natural gravit gravitating towards those topics. And um it, and, it, it, yeah. yeah. It, and regarding youth, I, I was in a big coming-of-age movie kick at that time, and I watched these movies for the first time in 2017. Mm. And I, I had not, I had no idea what was coming to me when I watched these, because these this approach to youth is so uh, so of the time because of all the historical uh, uh, um, details um, that we mentioned, uh, but also because of, like, the feeling of the general... Uh, feeling that is conveyed aesthetically of like complete displacement and like dysphoria about what's going like between what your stage of development and what you um and and your own and your own life and and like the the outside world and that's very well conveyed in doom generation mm-hmm. um and i guess we should talk about these movies individually but like before that like in, in doom generation like um you have the feeling like within the car like every time you see the characters be themselves is are is when they are inside the car uh on their road trip and inside of their of the the rooms that they stay in which are which are so stylized that they feel like yes these rooms define these characters and it's only when these characters are like contained in these spaces 
that they're fully allowed to be themselves. And when they venture into the outside world, they're either chased by authorities or opposite, uh, like um, uh, people that want to do harm to them. Or even when they go to the store, it's like a constant reminder of the of like the impending doom that's coming upon them as they transition into adulthood. Like, uh, like it's it's like a, a jokey thing, but like every time like the cashier says like they they go buy something multiple times in the movie, they says like the price is sixty six six hundred sixty six. It's like yeah. you're about to venture into hell soon. It's like everything is like obviously very expressive and non realistic and like sort of expressionist. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and but 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 like it speaks to that very real feeling of like the outside world is a re- constant reminder of. Of that everything is changing and you don't feel adaptable to it, especially in like queer characters like the ones that appear in their Doom Generation and these movies. And I also like the feel world like... is not for you, and the world is a hellhole <laughs> that is constantly attack and antagonistic. Yeah, and I also feel like on a more general level, I think especially in America, youth is so fetishized, right? Like yeah. the reason why we have so many high school shows because I do think there's this pro prevalent notion within American culture that like this is the time like this is like your prime you'll never be as cool as fuckable as I don't know whatever as as you are when you are in high school and I think when you have that cult following of a certain period in your life which I think in Europe is more like uni time I think like that sort of period in a lot of people's life is very fetishized like it's, as... it's, get, it's getting later and later i mean the worst person in the world is literally about a 30 year old so yeah 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 but like i don't think like people i don't mm, know i get it yeah but i get what you mean definitely and i do think that like if you live within a f- cultural framework that fetishizes a, a given like period of time in your life and mm-hmm. you're about to leave that period and everyone is sort of telling you, oh, it's all like downwards from now. Like the, the, the best is behind you. And especially if you have like shit time during the supposed best years of your life, then like, yeah, the, like the rest. Many queer people will, do. Exactly. Then it does feel like, oh, if this was supposed to be like the best time, then like it has to be hell, like literal hell onwards. Right. Yeah. Whereas I yeah. do think with, for a lot of queer people later in life, like their thirties, their forties is actually the time where they get to be happier. Yeah. Yeah. But I unfortunately mean, we don't yeah. see, we don't get to see much of that in Teenage Apocalypse really. Cause these are movies that are like extremely Yeah. With. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I'm just, I'm know, thinking about yeah. Greg. I, he yeah. says he's happier now. <laughs> yeah. That's like, you, you see, you see that interview. It is like, just like, looking gray like yeah. in the sun it's like i'm good now but like in the time i was like going through literal hell like <laughs> yeah but um, um but yeah so, I, let's talk about the first movie totally fucked up totally fucked up and 1993 very very low budget um you know what i was thinking like what is it with those movies about gen x and like faux documentaries within the movies because Totally fucked up. Reality bites. Reality bites. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I guess it's it's more of a. I, I guess like um, it ain't totally fucked up that that plot device has a, a very specific purpose. But I, I, I have a theory that's just about. I think it's merely aesthetic, where in the sense that like 
VHS was all the rage and there was like ah. the, the primary medium of that and like the tapes were the primary medium and so it's like that's why it was it was so prevalent I guess like people just thought it was cool oh, okay okay <laughs> I, I guess gotcha. I guess that's why gotcha. um, no like that 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 blah, that makes sense however like to us it feels really very like... alien and like it's like this is very niche but like back then it's just like the thing you did <laughs> but like to be fair and totally fucked up the the effect of the of the vhs was really difficult for me to watch like just oh i get it yeah it just really hurt my eyes and it gave me a headache whereas i don't think i had like a similar reaction to reality bites maybe because it was remastered i don't know and and maybe because reality bites had an actual budget and totally fucked up was just like kind of made for pennies Um, um but yeah I, I i i get that but yeah totally fucked up is kind of like it is a starting point thematically yeah it feels uh, like the not, breakfast club but queers on acid it, it is it, it it's the more i mean god it's like not tame compared to doom generation it's more and, like a talking movie like yeah it's more talky it's more realist it's more of a realist movie it's mm-hmm. it's it is it is more in a realist style i guess and I guess it's, I mean, the the the, um, the framing device is that of uh, of these youth, these young people are like filming a documentary from themselves. And, you know, it's like a testament to their life experiences. I guess that's what the movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, they didn't have like fancy production di- design like the, one, the latter ones did. Um, but this is a very good starting point, I think, for what comes to be explored later on, um, where it, it's just this group of, of people of, of uh, specifically all, all of them are gay, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's a group of friends as they sort of wander around aimlessly in like LA and no grownups are around essentially. It's just them and the world around it that feels uh, very monotonous and there's not really much going on around them. It's like them walking, constantly walking on empty streets and it's all, it's them alone with their heartbreak and their hopelessness. And they're like, they're trying to, hang on to what feels tangible, like their friendship, potential love interests, but nothing seems to come to fruition because they're young and things are messy and, you know, and that leads them to, you know, fall into depression. And that's essentially what the movie is. Yeah, and it feels like, I really like how the movie utilizes the the many scenes of them walking to sort of physically mm-hmm. portray the aimlessness because they, you just see them walking, but you never really see them reaching any place, <laughs> if that makes sense. And so, like, you as a viewer also sort of meander with them throughout those different streets and different locations. And you also sort of, like, is this leading anywhere? Could this lead anywhere? And it's sort of, like, through how the story is told, you as a viewer feel as aimless and hopeless and sort of disappointed with reality as they are i think which i Hmm. i really like when movies do that when they sort of trick you to feel (laughs) the the way that the the characters feel and um, yeah it's like yeah like it's wandering through empty streets and everything is just like there's nothing going on it's all empty and it's all like um it's it's them below with their thoughts which in youth can be very dangerous (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
But um, there's one scene that sort of stuck in my mind, got stuck in my mind, which is at the very beginning of the film, when they're sort of seat- sitting um, by the pavement, and then you have like two, like two queer characters, like very, very obviously queer, right? Like I don't, rem- I think they were like maybe trans women or drag queens. I'm not sure. Like, I, like I- drag queens, at least drag queens. They, yeah. yeah. That like very very in your face queer right, and mm-hmm. they call them the f word and they're sort of like, they don't really want to associate with them. I feel like, and it could be just like this very like normal thing that happens between generations where the new generation always is like, oh the previous generation was lame. I could never like do this. I'm gonna do something like completely different. But also do think it's interesting that. With the queer people in the 90s and you know again i could be wrong i'm not a queer historian but like from my very vague knowledge i think that's the first generation that didn't really have to fight as much for spaces you know what i mean like it, it's it's because it, it when you talk about like people of queer communities like sort of inserting into society it's such a in like a prevalent space or even in a way that they don't have really have to hide mm-hmm. or compromise certain aspects of their personalities and lives um it's so recent and we grew up during that period which is why it feels not so recent but like if you really think about it like gay marriage was only legalized in most countries like within the past like 15 years <laughs> which is insane gay marriage legalized what is that oh right <laughs> but like you know you know what i yeah, mean I'm like talking, in america yeah, 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 in a, yeah. a lot of in a lot of countries i mean shit you're from poland you yeah i mean i mean that is the issue with sort of like and people talk about here a lot both with like feminist movements and queer movements is that like normally you have like waves and each wave is sort of responsible for changes within different sectors that allow for further change to happen and here you have to have like simultaneously you have people asking for like abortion to be legal and accessible to people yeah and like about sex positivity and sex education being in schools and like Mm -hmm. that very sort of 70s sort of discourse around the topic and at the same time you have like a very modern discussion about how to uh, employ gender neutrality with, into the language and how to express express non-binary um, non I think sure <laughs> in a, in a language that has grammatical gender, right? Yeah, and so and it's very 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 overwhelming because it's very hard to have like a discussion that trans people or trans like people you know trust women are women and, and stuff like that and at the same time have like those very nuanced conversations about language and how language should evolve um, yeah because oh, like we live it is like such a in certain countries like poland for example yeah. it, the basics of of like treating lgbtq plus people as actual humans with human rights they're still so so stuck in that part of the deal that talking about and we live in a globalized world talking about those very those nuances in language and in the nuances of identity that sort of collapsing in and of themselves can be like very confusing i guess for at least for older generations you know oh yeah no, like, for example, 
the very a very big problem i think is that like a lot of the the queer terms in polish are directly sort of either directly loaned or directly translated from uh from from english for example like the word gender sort of became uh, it is it, just a loan word in and um in polish now to sort of discuss the psychological gender right because we have mm-hmm. the same word for both sex and gender so it's what and then like you have like adjectives oh, okay. that describe okay. which uh which sort of facet oh, it okay. is about okay so you know the the queer community started to just use the word gender as a because it's just easier right than like using yeah. a long term and but for older generations it feels like oh this is not like an organic thing that exists within poland this is something that came from the west like as yeah. if it was a lifestyle or a fashion and it is supported by this like len- l- like linguistic feeling of alienation because what are those weird words like queer and gender they don't sound yeah. polish they don't look polish and yeah, and it's just a whole other, another other struggle of how to incorporate those specificities within a different, within a specific culture. Yeah, and yeah. and but at the same time, because like you have so many young people who are looking at, to the West, and I don't know, for example, to shows where you have um, queer parents just like sh- raising normally their children, right? And yeah. um so there is this want to be at that level right now and to have to have the same nuance and to have the same sort of discussions that they just borrow and borrow and borrow from the english lexicon but that just sort of makes them sort of internal conversations here across generations that much harder plus you know the only we think unifying <laughs> the communist times and the current government is the hatred of gay people so like yeah <laughs> so like, yeah well, yeah <laughs> the polish gregoraki is still out there and i mean there are like initiatives that um there's there was there's both a movie on netflix and there's also a non-fiction book about the same operation during the 80s which was called Hyacinth which was sort of about um, uh, so during communist times we didn't have police we had militia and the militia sort of targeted gay people uh, and through this operation right and um, so like you have more and more mainstream both mainstream films right because it's a movie on Netflix um sort of dealing with with queer history in poland and also there's this i think i sent you this um like web series controla control which is about this lesbian couple which is very good i recommend yeah, it yeah 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 uh so like you have more and more sort of media and you also have more and more historical discourse but it's very like it's very politicized in a sense and a lot of people think it's just um that it's a political issue yeah Yeah. strange and foreign and like a lifestyle from the west that you know hasn't has never been organic has never been polish yeah 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 um but yeah no uh, i do think for like (laughs) what no no no, go ahead I, i i just i found that very interesting that like in the 90s even though you have this like huge 
I mean, I know that a lot of like people and Greg himself call it a, a holocaust, but I don't really feel comfortable using the word holocaust to describe what happened with the AIDS epidemic because a holocaust was like a deliberate policy, yeah, sure. whereas AIDS epidemic I'm... was a crime of negligence, where I think it's just um, it's yeah, semantics. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Question of question of semantics. Um, but yeah, like I do think that it's interesting that like that queer generation portrayed and totally fucked up is going for such a such a horrifying queer centered experience but at the same time has feels to have enough space and security in their own identity as something that wouldn't be questioned to sort of snark at the previous generations I just yeah it was that, that of sort of very... i guess yeah, I guess it's sort of in a. I I I have no certainty in what I'm saying, but I mm-hmm. guess, I, I guess it seems to be stuck in this midpoint of like. More people were more and more sh- like the 80s, 90s, um, culture was more queer than it was in the 50s. I mean, you had. The 80s. Yeah, I feel um, like and, Harvey. And, and, it, and it and it gave people. Uh, more more role model more queer role models and we you see you see the people and within music is a big part of these movies and you see that the bands that the people these people listen to do um they're very of the time like alternative bands like ministry and like shoe, shoegaze bands that curiously i was also discovering at the time when i was <laughs> discovering these movies so it's like oh shit these movies are in this I mean, but yeah Three. that's the point Korea um, has a very good like shoe gaze um, movement right now, so I can send you some bands if you'd like. Right now? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I heard about the Japanese one, not Korean. Okay. Oh yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> sure. No, yeah, I'd love to. But um, and but it, it, those bands aren't necessarily queer, but they speak to of a counterculture movement that didn't really exist previously, I guess, and like. 40s, 50s, wasn't, you know. Um, And I think also with America, it's important to point out that these movies and the queer sort of populace that they're portraying, it's California. Like, the the situation of queer people in, I don't know, California or New York City was completely different than the situation of queer people in Kansas in 1990s, I think. Yeah, whereas in one, those more conservative states, it was more of a question of repression, total repression. And meanwhile, in these states like California and New York City, it was more, they had these um, spaces where they could be themselves, but very much marginalized. Those spaces were were definitely marginalized in a way. Like a, where you had these pockets of subculture, yeah. But it, it um, I think there's a reason it, yeah. why, like, the in totally fucked up, it's a group of gay friends. Like, exactly. there is a reason yeah. why that group of people, even though they feel very free, their identity is so isolated, and it's because I don't like, even though I would argue that, like, there were more definitely way more spaces in the 90s. Like it's still, um, there was still a division and segregation within society. I think. Yeah, and... definitely a, a more of a question of segregation and marginalization. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A, and 
Yeah, I mean, these this is a very short and um, sort of simplistic movie in terms of its means, but it, it, when it comes to this sort of marginalization, feeling of marginalization, um, there's a lot to it exploring this movie and in the individual sort of arcs of these characters, especially the one portrayed by um, James Duvall. Uh, it, it's, it's more of about, um, it explores these um, feelings of like, rejection within their own, within their own community if like no one want like if 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 a romantic rejection and um vi violence against some of the characters and it's um and and i guess uh formally it is it is not as cookie cutter as like a, a low budget movie a movie of this low budget directed by a, like a less talented director would be because um there are a lot of ideas in the in this movie formally as well like like i mentioned like the specific um expressive choices of making of pretty much only young people being around and the rest is empty or the only places being shown are sort of these um margin marginalized spaces uh, that feel very um separate from the suburban world that they live in and yeah um and I think it's also smart to only use like young people that you don't really see any adults and totally fucked up with, you know, the AIDS epidemic sort of looming large over their lives. I think it's also like for a very long time, you didn't really have a lot of queer people that got to grow old. Yeah, especially when you could say there's like a character in this movie that you don't really see the parents, but it's implied that he was kicked out of the parents' house, mm -hmm. and that's the only mention of the grown-up world that, yeah. um, like, they can't relate to the past, their own family, but they also can't see a future for themselves, so they're stuck in this, like, empty nighttime limbo, and, yeah, um, yeah uh, at the end, uh, for the first time in this trilogy, all <laughs> character suffers a tragic fate, he, you know, he commits suicide, um, and that's how the movie ends, and it's, I guess, it, for the first time I saw it, felt anticlimactic but it I really felt as I watched it more times and especially now I think I like the movie more now than I ever than I ever liked I think they're on par for me with any other every other movie in this trilogy for mm -hmm. different reasons because it's a very different movie um but I, I guess in the movie there's just such just sustained feeling of melancholia that it there's never an escalation of like things get worse now it's like it's melancholia and hopelessness and then it happens um and i and like I that think, about it and i do think that's a more truthful portrayal of suicide yeah and, and yeah. like suicidal depression it's like the thing that pushes you to commit such a violent act onto yourself is not really like one single thing or things getting progressively worse because like if things get progressively worse, they can also get better. I think if you see, if you see change, then like I think it's you can logically construe a situation where the change happens in the opposite direction, right? And I think what pushes a lot of especially young people to suicide or to at least contemplate suicide is this lack of change, is just things being bad all the time. And I think that perspective of no change is really what makes you feel like, well, I guess then I'll just kill myself because there is no possibility of this um, yeah. ever yeah, shifting yeah. from what it is.
and 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 that's the what's portrayed in this movie. It's like there's no, there's I mean it, it, it's like there's no hope for change within their own lives. It's like by the end they're they're just very tired of like this. This is the same old shit. It's never going to be better. And it it doesn't feel immature and nihilistic in what it's trying to portray because there is I find a lot of beautiful moments of friendship in in the movie. And they're all very accommodating to each other, and they joke around. Um, thing is, just which is, I, it's not just one-dimensional. That's the yeah. thing that makes this movie really great. I don't like. I don't like this word nihilistic because, like, it sort of. To me, it suggests that there's no reason to be this like pessimistic, and like I think, from the perspective of these people of these characters. This is not like nihilism. This is not like ideological choice to see reality as grimy and bad. This is like their their reality is just very very pessimistic by yeah exactly mainstream exactly. standards. It's it's yeah it's definitely it's not it's not these are not nihilistic movies despite them being tragic and things and hopelessness being a big part of what they are. They're for that reason they are not nihilistic movies. And I also I just. I think it's just so easy to sort of diminish the 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 traumatic impact of generational oppression that a lot of minorities have to deal with as like well you have no reason to be this sad you can go to a gay bar <laughs> like you can have your gay friends you can like hold hands with your boyfriend in the open and I but at the same time, they're living with the very real sense that they might be able to hold their boyfriend's hand in the in the street, but their government and the society at large will still ignore them dying at ridiculous percentage. And I think that's yeah. a very sort of it's very hard to um separate how your identity or a group that you identify with is treated um in the mainstream discourse and through policies and your own individual experience of life like you can have great friends but i think it's it's hard to sort of separate yourself from the historical historiographic choices and actions that even though you have no control over affect you mentally and physically on a daily basis yeah yeah and those ideas are um developed further just due to the, a larger budget in doom generation which is my favorite one <laughs> wait sorry what <laughs> <laughs> which is my favorite one from the trilogy. oh okay i i think have it like before watching they flip back and forth, but before watching this trilogy again now, mm-hmm. which I've seen like four times all the way through all the whole trilogy, it might be my favorite. It used to be nowhere. I think Doom Generation is just the right middle point between these two movies, the other two yeah. movies. Like, to me, I mean, we'll get to nowhere, but like to me, it was just too much in a sense that there was so much going mm-hmm. on and there were so many characters and this is again my tv brain but like i couldn't decide like if it 
if I watched Nowhere, like outside of the context of the trilogy, it would be very, very hard for me to actually try to decipher what the themes and what the points are supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's a good entry point for Gregoraki. Definitely mm-hmm. not. Um, Whereas I, I think... I, I th- I yeah. think with Doom Generation, you can watch it as a standalone movie and really understand what it's supposed to portray. I think it's a richer experience watching it as a part of the trilogy and as a sort of a piece that is in conversation with Totally Fucked Up. But I, I think it stands it stands on its own two feet. Whereas with Nowhere, like I, I like the sort of the parallels to the other films and the continuation of, of themes, but I don't think I just I think it was too much, at least for me. It was just yeah, n- nowhere. Too much at the I, same time. I, I I love the excess, and I love how I guess we can sort of lump in Doom Generation mm. and Nowhere, uh, and compare the two. I guess in that way, for me, Nowhere, uh, like Doom Generation, like I said previously, like it's it's about these three characters, and they're you know okay, it's a, con- I, it's a road trip e- movie. I will explain Doom Generation. So. Okay. We have Rose McGowan, who is essentially playing herself because she's a me- mean buddy that says fuck a lot and has a power complex. But at the same time, she's just a lost girl that wants to be loved and feel she belongs somewhere. And she has a himbo boyfriend who's a hot bisexual, very pure, very soft vibes, who's played by James uh, Duvall. And the, the, these like are- James Duvall is such so good at portraying these like clueless, cute guys we just want i just want someone he has such a like face for those roles as well like just... yeah yeah and if, if you're listening to this and you don't know what he looks like because he's not a mainstream actor um picture evan mock from oh yeah uh, from but with the long Gossip hair girl but with long hair and not not dyed like their, their features are so similar to me like like as soon as like evan mock dropped on like um the on like the promotional material for gossip girl the new gossip girl people on twitter were just like wait a minute at least the people i follow is like this mm. dude looks so much like james duvall they have very 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 similar eye eye shapes and like yeah exactly structure. the eyes definitely yeah. anyway yeah. so yeah so they're together they're having sex in amy's car and then like this sort of bad boy what but wet dream but bisexual guy sort of comes like he's being i think beaten up by neo-nazis and then like he's being chased constantly chased he's like chased all the time he's like this like dangerous on the run horny chaotic bisexual that just like literally dropped in like a fallen angel um, (laughs) from like like drops into their car as uh Xavier Xavier but they call him X and like Jordan who's James Duvall's character is like instantly kind of into him and X is also flirting with him but like Amy has like is having none of this she's very she's very she's giving she's giving very good tsundere in this movie (laughs) she is a tsundere it's like whereas totally fucked up like the, the the characters are very much realistic um like they feel like real people in the conversations the they have feel like real people the doom generation is an anime <laughs> doom generation is like th- this is where th- this is a transition period in the trilogy where doom gen whereas totally fucked up was very realist doom generation in nowhere especially the dialogue it's it's it, it's completely not 
um, naturalistic. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, they speak in cultural references, in overly exaggerated insults, the, it's overacted, it's more expressionist, like visually, uh, colors are so, like, they scream to you, like the editing is more deranged, mm-hmm. it's wackier, uh, there's some, even some anime-like violence in the movie, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely. And like Rose McGowan in this movie, she essentially plays it tonight. She's so over the top, like grumpy, and in like every in every line she says, she's like insulting someone and saying like I love swears. Her so much. I love. Her she's so great. Much. She's amazing in this movie. And um, and so God, essen- Rose McGowan, what a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> and they essentially like go on this road trip like you said and like shit happens and also because Rose McGowan is a very hot Sundara and X is an unhinged horny bisexual of course he's into her as well and essentially they they, bicker a lot and they end up fucking (laughs) it's very enemies to lovers which I loved Um, but like they also sort of explore this polyamorous uh, dynamic between the three of them as well, which I think was very fun. And makes me excited for the Splendor rom-com. Because, like, I think... Splendor Gre- is... Yeah, not to derail this, but, like, Splendor is an interesting one. Because, like, I watched it when I was discovering his movies in 2017. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like it at the time. Oh, this doesn't really have what I liked so much about the Generation in Nowhere. This is just more of a cookie-cutter rom-com. Mm-hmm. But I would love to go back and see if... Like, it's because it's been five years since I watched it. And, like, I think, I am sure that I would love it way more now than I did back then. Um, so, yeah. Because it's a polyamorous rom-com, essentially. Yeah, and, I've, like, I've, like, I think he could nail it. I'm, I'm very, like, hopeful now for, for Splendor. Yeah. But, yeah, essentially, they, they are on this, like, bloody road trip. And then, and then when they finally have a threesome, uh, they are attacked by neo-Nazis. And, um and uh attacked in a very violent and very sexual way i think amy's raped and yeah the, and jordan, jordan, and jordan ends up getting and ends up getting killed and like in a very gruesome way like he gets yeah. castrated because like even even though he is dating amy he's he's bisexual and they're involved and these three people are involved in like a polyamorous relationship essentially that develops um along the way in the movie and since the dichotomy of the movie it's like they're relationship and their love and the way they they interact sexually and they interact with each other are is so at odds with this society that antagonizes the antagonizes it and it's a very very dystopian society that's portrayed in this movie do you ever Um, i mean this is not a hot take by all means i think that's like a very <laughs> common point in queer discourse but do you ever like consider the fact how philocentric heterosexual discourse and aesthetic is like even like when you have these homophobic neo-nazis committing this very violent hate crime it's so focused on their own phallics like the rape, the the castration. The castration, like the sword, like the sword thing they use to castrate. Yeah. It's like it's, it's like saying, you know, your type of masculinity. It's like you're soft, and even though you're dating a girl, you're also getting on with this guy, and you're like, you don't fit our vision of masculinity, so we're gonna castrate you. You know, it's that's it's sort of like idea. this, like the sort of 
um, anxiety around the dick is <laughs> just very funny to me. That like, like that there's only one right way to use this organ. Yeah, there's only one way to use the dick, and all the other ways are it's 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 yeah. I that, I'm like, not like I'm not the like those qualified person because I I know I think that involves a round of like. I don't know, like psychology concepts I don't dominate, but it is, yeah, it's true. It's it's just very, very funny to me. And like, it's also explored, I think, in, very well in Euphoria with Nate and sort of his whole deal. <laughs> he's very dick-obsessed. Dick like, he loves well, to you, talk oh, about... Oh, he's... He, he, yeah. He loves to talk about, like, his best friend in a very graphic manner and I think there's some I just I find it very interesting that a lot of those like very aggressively which I think the aggression comes from insecurity heterosexual males that go as far as to hurt other people they are so dick obsessed <laughs> I just find that very funny yeah I, I it's true it, it's true Nate is Nate is a character for sure. Like I, I wonder. I just want to hear like a ninety-minute talk conference about Gregor Aki talking about Euphoria. I need to know what he thinks about Euphoria. I mean, um, I mean, I, there is gonna be a third season of Euphoria, right? Get Greg on board, please. Sam Levinson needs to turn it down a notch, and I think letting other people direct episodes would be and write them especially would be positive. I think the direction isn't as big of a problem as the fact that Sam is writing everything. I just, I don't... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I like the cohesion, the visual cohesion that Euphoria mm -hmm. has, definitely. Um, but it's, it's, it's like, when you go as far as to like contradict certain aspects of episodes written by other people, especially the Hunter Schaefer penned episode, it's like... And you know he's he's way Sam Levinson needs to be more mature. He's I think he's way too immature for his own good right now. <laughs> yeah, like I think the best episodes that he writes are Bruce centric episodes because him being like a former addict, he adds I think it's a more lot personal. Of, and, it's more personal, and, and it feels real and deep. Yeah, and I think yeah, yeah. if he just let Euphoria be more collaborative in terms of identities that he himself has not experienced. Yeah. It, like that's why I think that the the um, the Jules centric episode is so good because you can Yeah, it's a it's great because it feels like a collaborative effort. Yeah, and I think like I on one hand I understand. Like I understand when you sort of when something is your baby, when you sort of create these characters and they feel like yours, and you sort of are very protective of them because they feel like they're part of you. Like on what on, on some level I understand it. But I think Sam has to <laughs> not that he could ever listen to this, but I think Sam has to realize that. He doesn't own everyone's stories. First of all, second of all, he's now writing a novel. He's making a TV show. And so he like consciously chose a medium that is deeply collaborative. And so it just it just won't do to act as if 
he's the only one person telling the story because that's not just like his words they're actually they're actors upon whose performance those words are dependent and so I think it's just very counter uh, counterproductive to ignore the actors and what they want yeah have to say yeah because it will create a dissonance between what he wrote and what the actor is actually capable of portraying and I think from seeing his other stuff, and from seeing his other stuff, it's like he has this. Even though he works a lot with black actors and with trans actors, and I feel like he has has this sort of like rich kid, nepotism kid mentality that like he can do everything in every mm. story. He can tell every story, and it's very like forty like, from you season two. <laughs> exactly exact kind of um and he he's like the way he sort of approaches like like the way he like Malcolm and Marie and Malcolm and Marie and Assassination Nation like Assassination Nation is all about like um how um like it's about misogyny in America essentially Mm -hmm. and Malcolm and Marie is about uh uh like the woes of a like a black filmmaker a lot of his was of a black filmmaker working in the industry and it's like you don't and and especially with and in the in euphoria the even though i thought that episode was good because the actors all of it a lot of it i think the rue centric episode with ali i had suffered a lot from that it's like why do you feel this need to tell everyone's story like you're not a black person you're not a trans person you don't know what's going on like the way he feels so entitled because the I mean, way he feels so almost entitled to tell these stories is just like, come on, like give it, give it up a little. <laughs> that's that's like the problem of. I think it stems from the issue. <laughs> we will. We are going to my favorite topic, which is the canon. But I think that's like a big issue of how the canon is constructed right now. That we care more about, like, like we care more like in parent in parentheses about stories about how white people understand blackness for example or how cis people understand transness and sort of their relationship with this idea than actually trying to understand the perspective of the of these people right like and, and it's not like he's completely opposite of trying to understand the perspective of these people yeah. like he works with the, like like he worked collaboratively with hunter schaefer on that episode and that's why it was so good for example yeah. um i think he's just immature think, is what i, I think would say he's i think he's just immature and i think also he I think he's just very scared that if he allows other people to work with him, he will stop being an artiste and he will become uh, just a person that works in a production. Yeah. He and really wants that- to be. He really wants to be an author, and yeah. in certain ways, he is one. And I would rather have a deranged, misguided author than just bland art gutless, gutless actor like um, directors in the industry that don't have anything to say good or bad so i appreciate sam levison's existence in a way in a in, in, a, in a, a a landscape of film and tv that's I think depersonalized sam, but you know yeah there are issues yeah. to be criticized i think with sam what makes me sort of sad about this situation is that if he sort of got over that issue of 
is that sort of trans becomes a bit transparent the more you pay attention to how a word is made is just because because of that position of his euphoria is sort of lesser than it could be even though like i think it, it, it's great despite its issue issues yeah don't it, get me wrong like i so, i still i'm still pro euphoria i know a lot of people yeah. are like i totally get their point of view and, and, and there's a lot of valakers in euphoria out there i still really enjoy the show especially i mean episodes three and five everyone gushing about episode five and not to make this a euphoria not be this all about euphoria now but because even after like two and a half hours but episode five everyone's gushing about episode five and it has its merits but euphoria especially this season when it leans into melodrama it's been so juicy funny. it's so it's funny. been juicy it's so funny I... cal cal jacob's storyline made me howl with laughter uh, it's very tragic, but it's also extremely funny. The Cassie, um, uh, like the the Cassie, Nate, and Maddie situation is so funny. It is hysterical. And to be honest, I think it's a. I know that it's like a lot of people don't like it, but I do think that like for the show that like from the very beginning has been very over exaggerated. Is a good. Um, from my perspective, it's a good artistic decision to lean into melodrama because it just... For sure, yeah. It just makes it more fun. <laughs> and, like, I think my favorite bit of the season so far is when, like, you have that bit of, like, Lexi romanticizing her life as a TV show and, like, that faux production of her TV sh- of the TV show in her head. I think that was my favorite moment of the season so far. But I just... Yeah. I think what makes me love Euphoria as a show is that it really sort of is its own wacky thing. And it doesn't always work, and I don't think it will work for everyone. But I really appreciate a show that is its own thing, that sort of, for one reason or another, you wouldn't really um, confuse it with anything else. Yeah, it's very much its own thing, and I I do value it in so much content that just it's depersonalized and doesn't have any it's it doesn't have any like defining characters of its own it just insists in this bubble to just exist and yeah. you know yeah and um, also like i don't enjoy this criticism and i think a similar criticism could have been waged against the totally fucked up um trilogies that, that quote-unquote real teenagers don't first of all look like this and second of all act like this and i think it's important to remember that not all content that is about youth and teenagers is actually for teenagers. The same way not all content that deals with children protagonists is for children. And I think you can explore youth and adolescence in this highly stylized, hyper way and still be truthful to your themes and to the feelings of adolescence with the content not being appropriate for young people like yeah i just i don't know where this idea comes from that like the age of the protagonist tells you who's the target audience of a given product like where does this come from i I, and i mean and i don't even consider euphoria to be necessarily realistic in a lot of ways because there's you know so much teenage addiction out there there are so many 
sex they're sex addicted teenagers there are yeah. like teenagers going through exactly the same things as euphoria and as like in and like and as euphoria teenagers i guess it's a question of stylization and and the target um yeah. but like i just like there's a lot of like criticism is like oh how would like for example how would the actors look like if they were actually 16 and i'm like okay but like if the actors were actually 16 then after the first season like they would age and so like it, i think it's better to you know like to like especially like from 16 to 21 i think your face changes a lot so like mm-hmm. you would vis- visibly see that these characters are aging and the show is sort of like stuck in one point in time more or less like within one year and again I don't actually think Euphoria is aiming at visual realism. <laughs> Euphor- exactly. Euphoria is not exactly a realist and like, show. And, I, and to reiterate my statement, I don't think Euphoria is actually for actual teenagers. I'd, like I have um, these two teenagers, one is 16, the other is 17 they're watching it and I'm sort of like I mean I'm not their parents so I'm not saying anything but like I don't think it's a show for them I don't like I think to me Euphoria is a show for some for a per, like ideally for a person that has been through those things I mean unnecessary sex addiction and like or <laughs> I don't know assault but like through that period of time through that self-realization for that time and it's the same with totally um not totally forgot with the whole trilogy like I think it's more resonant to people at the end of that journey or like that have yeah. just finished that journey and can sort of be more can explore those themes from a distance and can explore sort of how they feel about their own choices and how they feel yeah. about their own um hyper time of young adolescence um whereas i think if you're 16 and you sort of are are going through it and you don't yet have a distance from this hyper fixation or on everything that i think a lot of teenagers struggle with then i don't think you can properly engage with the forest themes i don't think this is like my very elaborate way of saying is that I don't think that everything that's about teenagers is for teenagers. And therefore, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. for me, lands and, in that. And, and the category. more time it passes, to bring it back to the trilogy, the more time passes between... And I saw it still as a teenager. I was mm. 18, going on 19 when I watched them. 18, um, going on 19, yeah. Um, but like, as, as I keep revisiting these, like they keep... I, it, it resonates more of like of in different ways than it did at the time and I as I be as I'm growing more mature I appreciate appreciate it in different ways and I don't think as a teenager I would interact with Euphoria as uh, the same way as I do now mm. I think it would be very different so yeah um again I'm not gonna gatekeep like but yeah I, yeah I just I think it's I'm not a prude, do we? Do whatever. <laughs> yeah, go watch some dicks. I don't care. But like, I think a lot of people sort of rush, especially like a lot of like culturally conscious people rush to watch the important like watch the important movies or read the important books 
like straight away. And I think with a lot of pieces of culture, where you are in your life will affect how you're going to interact with that piece. And I sometimes think it's good to wait to engage with something. That's why, yeah. for example, I haven't seen before sunset and before midnight because I sort of want to be in a similar age as the characters mm, when I okay. watch those films. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, make it sort of a parallel to the trilogy. Um, um, like, it would be wonderful if Gregoraki got the chance to direct something about teenagers and youth that has this much of a mainstream projection because I think that's what he's been not exactly mainstream aesthetics because he's he's never been deliberately mainstream or rarely oh, no. <laughs> only when he worked on Riverdale and certain reasons why but like he needed the bag let him be um those were not his projects those were no jobs. those were games and, and, he's, and he still directed KJ Apa in the most amazing he's never like no one else has directed kg apple as he did in that episode because he leaned into himboism in such a perfect way um but but like because these the like a lot of the people i've been joking around that this is like euphoria for um euphoria in the 90s and it's like <laughs> especially nowhere it's like i think doom generation um it, it, it uh, walks towards a more expressive like non-realist um sort of dystopian reality or like hyper reality where everything um everything is abrasive and that is only and but still in the very much in the through the lens of a, like a very close-knit group of people uh and their perspective nowhere is chaos um it's so summary that like nowhere is um Oh gosh, what's the number of the Beverly Hills show? 90210 on no on acid. It's like on the, the yeah. letter box official description. Yeah. <laughs> and it 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 is like so it is it, exa- it's exactly like that. It's okay, so nowhere doesn't really have a protagonist. You just have it's a more of an ensemble piece. You, you know, you're following a group of um teenagers slash young people in general through like a, a day, like a, a like it's like only through the course of a single day into mm-hmm. mostly night where it takes place mostly in a party in the context of a party and this i i definitely for a while this was my favorite because it com- it, it it aesthetically visually them- even thematically it, it it like brought everything to an extreme in such a way that was it is so appealing to me it was and still is i think generation doing generation right now is my favorite but I I love the extreme and the excess that this movie has. It's filthy, it's gross. Like it is, like hor- hor- horrifying at times. It's it, horror a bit. Like... It is all. It is a horror movie. It is kind of a horror movie where and nothing. Um, that it's not as compassionate about the people that they're they're portraying until maybe the very end but that's the rock it's completely pulled under us um it feels very la and like my understanding of an la story is like something like if babbitt's writing or licorice pizza where people just sort of exist and 
they interact with each other but it's not that meaningful really it, and you it, sort it, of, yeah. and you yeah. are just sort of stuck in this endless loops of like different absurdity yeah uh, it, you... it, it is like a hyper stylized version of la where no, no, there's not a single scene in this movie that screams realism the acting is more ridiculous than ever the script is insane the things that people say are, are like the names of the characters are complete like some of these names are like egg dingbat lucifer like it, it it's it's very deliberately non-realist and i i i just i i get why this might be too much or even watching without with a bit of a distance from the director I, I know you watched the previous two but like I would not introduce this to I would not introduce Gregoraki's filmography with this one to anyone I think yeah, um, I think Doom Generation is a good movie to like yeah as, that from the three good. movies that I've seen yeah but like from those three I think Doom Generation is the best because I think if you watch totally fucked up you might have like a misconstrued idea of like what kind of movies he makes yeah, yeah, because that was very early on in his career, yeah. and he didn't have the means to fully just go out there and to be insane. And I also um, I have very important news for our lovely loyal listener Yulia, who's a big Charmed fan of the like original TV show. Oh, that... are those girls from Charmed? I didn't know they were yeah. from Charmed. I never watched Charmed. Okay. So there's a very iconic scene in Nowhere where we have Russ McGowan. Uh, who served like um, who was in Doom Generation as well, and she's playing a Val chick, I guess, like a Valley chick. And there's yeah, the, the three there are three Valley girls that are just gossiping in a very over the top way. Yes, yeah, so we have Rose McGowan who plays Paige in Charm, and then mm-hmm. there's um, one that I don't recognize, but importantly, the third Valley girl is played by Shannon Doherty who is also in the main cast of uh, Charmed. And they did that show, like, it's a very, like, early 2000s show. Uh, that aesthetic, very wacky, special, special effects. And Yuli really liked that show. So I think it's important that she knows that <laughs> there's, like, an alternative Sweet. universe where the two... I don't remember Shannon Shannon's um, character and... Like the character's name, I know that like all girl girlies have names that start with a P. But wait, wait, let me actually check. Uh, like yeah, yeah, but you know their presence is very like it's very iconic scene from it. But it's they literally are there for a minute before yeah. they get zapped by yeah, an it's alien. It's Prue. It's Prue. It's Paige and Prue sort of interacting before because Charmed started in nineteen ninety eight. So like I think that's right after Nowhere, right? Oh right. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's just it, this is like a small special Easter egg Easter egg for Julia. Okay. Nice. That's <laughs> nice. I had no clue because, like I said, like these girls are only in it for a minute before they get yeah. zapped by an alien. And the but editing that's in the best scene, scene, I think, in the whole, at least for me, it's one of my they favorites. were so funny. <laughs> um, it, it's like I think that scene per, almost um, summarizes the, the the experience of watching this movie, where it's total overstimulation. Um, the editing is so fast, like you're constantly cutting between the girls, James Duval, and the alien. And it's so like almost schizophrenic. It's deranged. And and then they get zapped, and it's like you're not sure if like you've seen what you've seen is real because you're watching it from James Duval's point of view. 
Yeah, it's one of it's it kind of summarizes the experience, like the overstimulation of watching this movie. Um, and like the way they have like matching costumes and yeah. all that's left of them is like the retainers. Shrapkis. Yeah, but but yeah, this movie it, it it definitely has like a comedic absurd vein where it's just like completely outlandish and the editing is constantly just it does never stops until the very end, mm-hmm. which I guess I love that scene so much at the end where um dark, It's a very good ending of the film, I think. Yeah, where Dark and so Dark is like one of the protagonists played by James Duval. And he's only one of the teenagers that are like roaming this just sort of absurd portrayal of LA um, throughout this day. And like, again, he plays like very much of a puppy dog type of character where he's like, he just wants to be, he just wants love. Like, uh, like he, he, there's, he, he's with this girl, Mel, who I think is really good in the movie. He's with this girl, Mel, who's like, like all he wants is love and to like, cuddle with someone's like a cuddly and like mel all, all she wants is like and, and she sort of speaks to that sort of um uh youth feeling of youth that is like we're all gonna die soon so might as well fuck and kiss whoever we want while we're still young and yeah. she embodies that spirit and uh, and like she really likes her he really likes her but he's like so he just wanders around like oh but she doesn't really like me and she's with the other people and then by the end he's also like sort of as a crush on this very like angelic boy called montgomery his eyes are so yeah. beautiful yeah he has sort of like one eye like contact lenses with like one eye from different with a different color um like a blue one and a green one and at the end, he just sort of goes through hell because that's what the experience of watching this movie is like. Everything happens all the time, and it's constantly cutting between like it's a one minute with this character, and then one minute with this one, and every scene something outlandish and insane happens throughout like seventy minutes. And at the end, you get this like dark is at like the at the end of his ropes. Like I'm eighteen, I'm completely doomed. Nothing is out there for me. This reality is hell. People have been dying. I've been seeing aliens everywhere. It feels like the apocalypse is more nearer than ever. This is the most apocalyptic movie of the trilogy. It feels mm-hmm. like the world is on the brink of total insanity. And like, um, he's like, has a quiet moment in his room. It's like, I don't know what, where to turn to. And then Montgomery comes in, who had been previously like attacked by an alien, one of the aliens, the alien that you see throughout the entire movie making like sporadic appearances. And then... Uh, he gets there and like they have this very sweet moment like oh I want this to last forever and then Montgomery just blows up and he turns into a bug because the aliens did shit to him or he was an alien all along sort of and I think that summarizes it summarizes this movie perfectly where it's like it's the cruelest ending despite him not dying in this one it's the cruelest ending of them all because it's like I finally have a break from this hell world and like and everything, my boyfriend that is I an touch, alien, <laughs> and everything that I touch just turns into just explodes and turns into madness. And yeah, that's the way which, it ends. Which I do think is a very like when you're young and you have so little agency. I think it can feel like that, you know, that like yeah, there's no way of you 
like as if like the, the universe conspires against you getting what you want yeah it's it, yeah, exactly that's the way it is it's like it's a very yeah it's the the, the entire world is against you it's like you know that's what happens in all three of these movies but yeah it's it's do sort you, of do you also think that the last shot of doom generation so amy and x sort of driving away looking completely empty inside is a reference to the last shot of the graduate i didn't think about that but that's a good oh that's a good parallel i i like that because to me like the last shot of doom generation sort of like i think that's you know uh, I, like in the beginning the movie is introduced by a heterosexual movie by gregor aki which is <laughs> differs from totally fucked up it's like another hobo movie by gregor aki <laughs> Uh, with like this one's a heterosexual one, and and I feel like this that's is for the straights. It's like it, it's it's obviously not a, a strictly straight movie, but it's like an omen. It's like a tragic omen that's announcing its heterosexuality because by the end, all you're left with is this heterosexual dynamic, and it feels like. I mean, but the, I think it is been, a they've hetero- been forced. They've I, been forced into heteronormativity by the world because everything yeah. else is feel is it gets responded with violence. That's, um, that's what happened to Jordan. Yeah, exactly. I think like it is a heterosexual movie in a way that it like explores the the body count of heteronormativity and like yeah. how and the, em- the the casualties. Yeah. Uh, of of it and um, yeah, all they wanted is their little para- paradise, like you know, being with each other in this like th- like this three person like polycule. Yeah. And the rug and not be fetishized or them. like. Yeah. Exactly fetishized um, or like beaten up by other people they just want to serve to vibe and explore their own dynamic but yeah mm-hmm. they're they're forced and, into this and i just i think it now that i think of it i think it's an interesting parallel i don't know if like the graduate yeah it's the graduate I, I, don't, I don't i don't know but it's a good parallel to make because like you know the graduate i haven't seen that in a while but like it, it, it there's this feeling of like oh i'm married now this this happened what now mm. and it's sort of not in the same vein but like since jordan has been killed they've been like you know like rose mcgowan and um amy and xavier are like sitting uh next to each other in the car and it's like very very depleted it's like all the life has been taken out of them and all we have is each other and but it's not the same because it is the three of us are our, our dynamic that went against heteronormative conceptions of relationships um that made life so exciting and now it's just the two of us and it's heteronormativity has beaten us and now it's just us and the world and uh, while uh, us and the world and not us versus the world yeah and i think also similarly how the graduates sort of dealt with the social the social romantical construct of its time right like yeah who gets to be fuckable <laughs> and um, sort of what kind of unions are acceptable for young people. And I think the ending is sort of like, so, I mean, at least that's my reading. Like what I really like about The Graduate is sort of like an open ending in the sense that you can decide sort of why the, um, I think her name is Eleanor or Eileen, Eileen, right? Or the lady in this Dustin Hoffman, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, yeah. Look yeah. so distraught. Like, why do they look so distraught? Whether it's because like they're realizing the future is coming, 
or yeah. like they realizing what they've done or whatever Youth is the, over now i'm forced yeah. into society and i think like also it's like if you grow up within a certain framework and within a certain under like patterns i think it's very hard even if you rebel against them it's very hard to sort of feel free within them you know what i mean yeah and i yeah. think with the graduate not necessarily with the generation it's like did we do this like crazy responsible thing because this is how we feel and this is like a us freeing our feelings and acting as we want or whether this is just us reacting whether we just sort of are repeating a certain pattern that we're not even consciously aware of right and it's like i think there is no freedom essentially yeah yeah no yeah that's that's the feeling you get at the end of the graduate yeah yeah um but yeah i i i do think i i i've also settled on i love all these movies and i like i've said there's some of my favorite movies um and i love them uh for despite the similar themes i love them for similar reasons um uh i love for different reasons sorry and um i love the extremity of of nowhere and just sort of how it's um how violent it is as well it's like how violent the hopelessness feels it's like it's it's more it's the most violent of the three um there's like multiple deaths in it it's it there's like this feeling of like yeah we are all going insane and everything is blowing up and I have no idea where to turn to. So let's we, we just let's just become animalistic. Essentially, it's very animal. Mm. It's the most animalistic of like complete outburst of energy. Um, but yeah, it's sort of an escalation between all three. But um, yeah, I think that's that's we got what we have to say about the trilogy. Yeah, it's very good. I really recommend. It. Like, I know we talked about how like Ariaki was sort of forgotten, <laughs> but I. I wish these movies were more talked about because I like there there's a certain group of movies that I don't think you need to like in order to appreciate what they meant and what they did and how innovative they were and I sort of my wish for this trilogy is that through TikTok and Gen Z and the exploration of this, this aesthetic those three movies sort of become those um cornerstones stones in culture because i do think that they um that they are important and that they should be remembered yeah i there's to me they're some of the most the most defining movies of the 90s and what alternative culture was in the 90s and i think yeah i i I really do i really do think iraqi should be a household name and i'll be i'll be continuing to fight until that happens um yeah yeah do we have um, any final thoughts on Euphoria? <laughs> uh, there's a new one or tomorrow. Adam. Chaos. Chaos think, is coming. I think the one tomorrow will be narrate, narrated by Lexi as well, which I'm very excited Oh, about. yeah, because it's the play. I'm very excited for yeah. the play. Yeah, um, I'm very excited Maybe for being the play. a Lexi head as I am, well. I'm very excited. I, lo- I don't think I've ever... I think I've said it to you like at least five times by now, but I don't think I've ever 
related to a fictional character as much as I relate to Lexi. Lexi is great. Fez is great. I love the increased. Like, there's so much bullshit with having you for it. And there's like a lot of like exaggerated melodrama with it that I love about this season. But when it comes to like grounded, sweet, genuine moments, uh, Fez and Lexi stuff, both together and separately, has been a breath of fresh air. I really mm-hmm. like it. And I think it also like nice, nicely balances the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice brings it a nice like a, a nice and it, I think they're two of the most realistic characters in the show mm-hmm. as well um I've seen like so she's many... like a very real high school girl Fez yeah. is like there's a lot of Fezes around yeah. um the sort of light-hearted good-natured drug dealer that's been like to this <laughs> life there's a there's seriously I, ev- I've encountered a lot of Fezes in every in every cartel there's a Fez <laughs> like I've encountered a lot of Fezes but it's a common trope so like he's a very realistic character yeah um, no yeah. and it's just, it feels nice. <laughs> I have nothing else yeah. to say. We've been recording for three hours. I... I'm so sorry <laughs> to the people listening. Yeah, I, I think I, I really need to go. I don't think I, is it okay if I drop it tomorrow? Because I don't think I have the time to. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think, because this went longer than I thought. And, uh... I know. It's of course it's okay oh my god we have to choose a song for the ending though oh i i i know a few because i've been i love the soundtrack i like i was thinking of using um the the first song in nowhere which is one of my favorite it's avalon okay. by slow dive it's one of my favorite songs okay that works but yeah, yeah uh thank you so much for listening to this absolute chaos of an episode <laughs> Did we see say anything of value? I guess we didn't. But then again, it's okay. <laughs> Hello. Oh, there's stuff in there. Okay. The most important thing is that you should watch Gregoriaki's films and appreciate this actor and his visions. Period. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us and um yeah. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>